This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Hey, what's up, Menopod? Hey, I'm still training for the Falmouth Road Race, and it's just a couple of weeks away. And to be honest, uh, I feel like I'm not ready. I'm not loving my workouts, and some days I've been skipping them. And that doesn't help my stamina, and it doesn't help with my negative self-talk either, because I start saying things like, I should do this, or I should do that, and telling myself I'm bad for skipping my workout. Have you ever wanted to do something, but then didn't put in all the work required, so you fell short of your goal? Feels like that's where I'm heading right now, if I don't get off my butt and get back outside. (laughs) But sometimes we have to do the things that we don't want to do in the moment to get the future we desire. Now, it starts with one step one small decision. Sometimes it's just getting off the couch and going for a walk around the house. It's got to be small. It's so small you can't fail. And when it comes to menopause and life, you know, the only constant is change. And what I'm here to tell you is that change is possible, but it won't happen overnight. First step to change is making the decision to change. But then we've got to back that up with action, right? And that's the big challenge. How do we take any action? And even more importantly, what actions should we take? The menopause movement is here to help you with all of that. Menopause can be a time of misery or it can be a time of unapologetic action toward creating a life we love. Now, I woke up in the middle of my menopausal journey hating myself, my body, and the life I had created. I didn't know what to do, so I went on a quest to find out how to make change happen. The result was the menopause movement and this podcast. Now the menopause movement has one purpose, to help end the suffering caused by menopause through transformational education and coaching. We wanna help you too. So head on over to menopausemovement.com, take the quiz there. And not only will you discover your type, but we'll also tailor some offerings to help you take back your life from menopause. Getting into the driver's seat of my life was the first step I took to overcome the changes that I had experienced with menopause. But I did it alone, and it was really lonely. The menopause movement has created a community of women who are unapologetically deciding to become their best selves one small action at a time, and you can too. Join our community and start to create a life you love. Today, we're gonna be talking about depression, more specifically, how to get yourself out of it brick by brick. Zach S. Rutledge is my guest today, and we have an insightful conversation about how to unfunk yourself. Zach is an ACE certified personal trainer and ACE certified fitness nutrition specialist and the certified brain health trainer through the Functional Aging Institute and has practiced yoga for almost a decade. He holds an MA from American University in Washington, Washington D.C. and starts his licensed professional counseling graduate program in January of 2022. He's the author of the official depression relief playbook, Real Life Strategies from a Guy Who Has Lived It. His book details the effects of the conventional, non-conventional, and unexpected treatments and provides a defined action plan which attacks depression and anxiety on the physical, mental, and emotional levels. Simple, actionable, and concise, this book will save you years on the struggle and provides you with a shortcut to live the life you deserve. It's truly an insider's book on depression and how to de- how to beat it. And during the podcast, we talk about Zach's history of depression, building himself back up brick by brick, finding gratitude when life seems hopeless, 1% improvements, the role gut health plays in healing from depression, how we speak to ourselves and why it matters, yoga and meditation, how to help when someone you love seems depressed, forcing your personality and finding out who you really are, and stay to the end to find out the steps you can take to get out of depression. At the end of the episode, visit menopausemovement.com forward slash podcast, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy this episode, please leave a written review 
like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Now, who should we have on the podcast next? Please let me know. And what can I do to make it better? I want to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Gordon, D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N or on Facebook, also Dr. Michelle Gordon. And when you send a DM, it's going to be me. I'm going to be answering it, not someone from my team. You can also send an email to drgordon at menopausemovement.com. Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement today. Now let's get to Zach. So Zach, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. We don't get a lot of guys on our podcast. Uh, we've had a few who, you know, specifically help women, but it's super exciting because you came through depression. And one of the things that happens to women in menopause is they, as, as estrogen starts to leave, our brains react in a way that, that makes us a little bit unpredictable, not only in moods, but in our motivation. And so I'd like to get your story first, like, like where you live, who you, you know, who you serve, what your story is. And, and let's hear a little bit about your, your depression and what happened there. Yeah, sure. Well, I live in New Jersey. I've lived here most of my life, except for I went to grad school in Washington, D.C. But aside from that, yeah, looking back at my childhood, there were no uh, capital T traumas. There was, I, I want to say a normal childhood quote, normal childhood, but it was very stable is what I mean by that. And, you know, it wasn't until my teen years when I started to hit some bumps, but I just assumed I was a moody punk rocker. That was just what I thought. And it wasn't until I was 18, it was the summer after high school, and I call it the perfect storm. So it, we had just graduated, my best friend was killed, all of my friends were leaving for college. My karate school was closing, which I had been in since I was 10 years old, so all of my social support was gone. And there tends to be, for a lot of people, this pattern where quirks, let's say, manifest late teens, early 20s, things like depression, anxiety, OCD, things like that. That all kind of clobbered me within one month, so quickly failed out of college. and really since then it was well I don't want to say since then but it, it was a brick by brick building myself back up that's really what what it felt like brick by brick it took me about a decade and then the other part of this mission I guess is now I just kind of shift to helping other people so well let's just unpack this a little bit because you you had a lot of traumas with a big T happen all at once just when you were older instead of younger right so your best friend gets killed what's what's what happened there car crash I'm um, sorry and then you know you you're your dojo closed, right? Yeah. Was it going to matter to you if the dojo closed since you were going off to college anyway? I was actually going to a local college and partially because I wanted to stay at my karate school. So I was still going to live ah. at home and just commute. Uh, and it's hard to explain to people who haven't lived it, especially through their teen years. Your, your heart lives there, it feels like. Yeah. And when that drops out, it's really tough. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's just talk about like what happened. So you put, failed from college. I mean, I really, that's so near and dear to my heart because I went off to college too. And I thought I was one thing I went to, I went to this uh, small school in Seattle, actually, because I grew up in Washington state. So I went to Seattle Pacific University, which is a small Christian college. I went there with my best friend and found out that my best friend, you know, wasn't that interested in me anymore because she was doing her own thing like basketball. And I realized that I had very little in common with these people and I hated living in the dorm. And I, I, I mean, I would have failed out, but I quit before. So 
So I, I had to, you know, I had to grow up, right? I had to, and, and I had to make up for like the fact that I goofed off a lot in high school, we'll say. And, and I recovered as well. But I, I want to hear from you, like, like, so you failed out of school and you're 18 years old. You had to go back home, I assume, I was or you were already living at home. I was still living at yeah. home, commuting to school. Yeah. And I mean, I say I failed out. I dropped a few classes. I said, I thought to myself, maybe I could take two or three of my favorite classes, keep those on. And those I failed. <laughs> so I said, okay, I, I just need some time away from here. Yeah. And really it was about a full year where I did nothing. I was, I was in my bedroom doing nothing. Yeah. That's like the, the classic, you know, I think that's, that's the classic description of depression is just, yeah. just sitting around doing, and, and I really feel for you when I was first pregnant, I was, I didn't know who I was and like, I wasn't going to college cause I couldn't stay in school cause my brain wasn't working. I had baby brain mm. and I would sit at home and just watch TV. And like, all of a sudden the day was gone and I would be like, okay. And it was just like, I, I mean, it, it, those, those days just kind of roll together like it's mm -hmm. just like one phase it's like it was that lost time yeah example, exactly right? yeah exactly yeah yeah so so you did a really good job of describing depression you just did nothing for a year and <laughs> how did that <laughs> which actually sounds like a vacation for a lot of people but it wasn't it wasn't a pleasurable experience <laughs> no i mean coming out of depression is really hard and and i think i think one of the things that we have to do is we have to really look at at all the all the things that we're choosing to believe at the time, and and a lot of depression, I think, has to do with now. This is not clinical diagnosis, so there is a clinical depression that is medical, and I'm not going to go there. I'm talking more about our thoughts, and I think a lot of a lot of depression has to do with how we choose to identify ourselves, and the way the way to get us to start to climb out of depression is the first the first step. I think is recognizing it, and then after that, it's like finding a brick and putting it in place, Absolutely. just like you said. Absolutely. So. So why don't you tell us about those foundational bricks that you started to lay down? Okay, so you're going to love this one because, yeah. so I was in my room and to kind of add to that description of depression, it felt like all of the color drains out of your world. Yeah. So it's not like you're just kind of resting for a year. It feels like like there is no more joy, uh, you know, just to kind of add to that in case, in case there's people out there who haven't felt it. It's hard to put into words. But anyway, so I, I did realize a few months in that I needed to start sharpening my mind a little bit. I needed to do something. So I said, okay, I need to at least be able to focus on something for a little bit of time. I can watch TV for a half hour. That sounds good. And I did the worst thing possible. I started watching the news. Oh, no. I, I, because I thought, well, smart people watch the news, informed people watch the news, I'll start watching the news. And I quickly realized I don't need to know about every murder in the tri-state area. So that was a bad move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it wasn't until I was still like kind of in and out of bands at that time, just trying to get some traction and, and some kind of stability. But I, I just kept quitting because I couldn't handle the, um, like the pressure, very small pressure with local bands. And I ended up playing in this band with these guys who were really into working out. And Working out for me was like a byproduct of karate. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll join these guys. And I started lifting weights. And so to put things into context here, I'm 5'9 and I'm 170 pounds, which is like ever. And I am and I work out six days a week because I'm a personal trainer. So it's, it's like I'm carrying you know any weight that I don't really need. So, okay, fine. At the time, 5'9, 123 pounds. Whoa. So yeah, I was almost 50 pounds lighter. So wow. getting into this working out, I think they were pushing me a little little more than, than they would the average person. And when I could see myself 
building that muscle relatively quickly, I was like, oh, wait a minute, I have a little bit of like control here in my life. I don't have to have this skin and bones. And, and it, it wasn't just that it was, it was partially the camaraderie, partially the um, having fun yeah. and like learning. Like I have fun learning things, you know, so I was interested in things. I was reading books on working out. I was like, oh, there's, so it kind of gave me that. That was really the first brick. That was something I could kind of sink my teeth into and it was physical. It was something I could see. Mm -hmm. So that was the first major step in the right direction. That's so good. So usually women who go into depression gain weight for the most part. It's really rare for women to lose weight in depression. I mean, not not all. There are some women who will get emaciated while they're, you know, depressed, but for the most part it's it's uh, you know, our, our big thing, our big thing is like body image and and you know, that's the external forces that come from the media and and from our families and all those things. But it's the same thing though, because when you start to move your body just a little bit every day, you can start to feel like you've got some control over something. Yeah. Right? And I think the whole the whole bit of depression is that just this feeling like it doesn't matter what I do, it's just all gonna be down on me no matter what. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was, and and there was also the nice bonus of I wasn't getting sick all the time anymore. I was getting mm -hmm. sick a lot because I was so underweight. I was like, oh wow, this is like you know, and feeling that little bit physically better. It made a big yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really funny. I mean, even one thing that that I talk about a lot, podcast and in my programs, is I talk about one percent improvements because one percent improvements don't feel like anything but they stack. And so if you're able to improve even 1% a week, it doesn't feel like you're making any improvements and all of a sudden, especially like I'm a runner. And so for me to see the improvements in running when I just started doing it consistently and I was able to, you know, when I first started running, you know, I was probably 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And I would run for a minute and walk for five. And by, and when I ran for a minute, my heart rate would go into the 180s, right? And I'm like, okay. And I wasn't even sprinting. I was just like jogging. Okay, I was like, okay. I can do this. Okay. Okay. Let's just keep going. You know, and I'd come back and it'd been 12 minutes or something and, and, or maybe 15 and, and I'd come back and my wife would say, well, you, you, you know, that was fast. I'm like, well, it was a mile. What do you want? You know, I just, I just did a mile. And I had to do something I could do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and now, I mean, you know, but right now it's the end of July and you, this probably won't air until October, but I'm training for this race, the Falmouth road race. It's a seven mile race. And, you know, I don't know, you know, I'll finish it, but I don't know if I'll walk some of it. It doesn't matter because I don't care about, I just want to finish it. So, I mean, I've done it before, but the point, the point I'm trying to make is that, is that when you're consistent at something, you can pretty much do anything. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's the process, of course. Right. And we have to start focusing on the process and, and loving the process. And that, that, is, that requires such a huge mind shift. And then there's something else you said about, you know, the color draining out of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Direct for depression. And what, what I like to tell people is that if you can find one thing to be grateful for, if you're feeling super, super depressed, because gratitude is the precursor to joy. And when you, when you can start to find something to be grateful for. Like if you fell down and you're happy that you fell on a carpet instead of a, um, mm. instead of the asphalt, you know, just something simple like that. Finding gratitude can, can change your life and it can change your mind like really, really quickly. Which is really tough mm. sometimes, especially when people are telling you, you know, it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> and you're like, oh man, it can get worse than this. You know, and I understand they're, they're trying to say practice gratitude, but you're like, oh, man, I'm already at the bottom. It can be worse than this. You know, that, that <laughs> you know, I would have preferred if people had said to me, it can be better. Right. And they gave me that little bit of hope 
things, you know, looking forward. Yeah. So it's, it's tough to find that gratitude. It takes work. It takes work. Yeah, it, it can. The thing, the thing is, is that, is that it can, I, I, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. I think it can always be better and it could always be worse. Oh, yeah. And cir- circumstances happen and circumstances are neutral and we get to decide how we choose to assign meaning. Yes. And when we understand that, when we get to that place where we can, in the moment, sometimes it's really hard when something feels like it's really big. And then you look back at it and it's like, why did I act that way? <laughs> why did I, why did I fly off the handle about that stupid little thing? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's just, that's just, you know, the part of the human experience. It's, it's so amazing and lovely. So, all right. So that was your first brick was fitness. What, what, what did you focus on next once you started to gain some weight? Oh, good Lord. It was, it was, uh, I think it may, it must have just been kind of that education part because I like getting back into school, getting around people again. It it sound it just it's so hard to put into words for people who haven't explained who haven't experienced it. But even just being around groups of people can be extremely draining. It's it's really hard on almost physically, almost physically. It feels like where you just want to go to sleep after you've been around people in a classroom. And you know, you know what I mean? Oh my God, so was, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah. It, was, it was just working on getting around people and, and being in school. I actually transferred, oh geez, I think I transferred schools four times. <laughs> and yeah, but, and like kind of dialing in where I should have been. But, but I guess the next tangible thing that I could that I could really sink my teeth into was getting my diet sorted out. And I, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a personal trainer and I'm passionate about the physical stuff. And I, and I don't mean to overemphasize that stuff, but it was nice having something that was physical and tangible, right. As like the first blocks. So really it was dialing the diet. Like, like you said, with mainstream media, I was so thin. One of the reasons, because I was taking the mainstream advice, mm-hmm. not realizing that my body was different. And it sounds like a lazy answer, but it's true, everybody's body is a little different. And the foods that I need aren't the same as the foods that somebody in the news needs. So I, I highly recommend that anybody listening, if they can afford it, get an allergy test. It made a really big difference in my life. I, I know my body has changed. So I know now if I have a glass of milk, it's not going to end well, right? Huh. But at the time, they were kind of more subtle. And I think there was this inflammation going on in my body that just, it wasn't contributing, right? It was that 1%. If I can get that inflammation out, right? If I can cut out those foods that aren't agreeing with me, and it's not necessarily an allergy, it can just be an intolerance. It's slightly different. But, you know, there's there's actually a pretty popular theory that depression is mostly from the gut. Now, I think that's part of it. It's not all of it. And people are actually giving probiotics because you create 90% of your ter- serotonin in your gut, not in your brain. Mm-hmm. Again, part of it, not all of it. But hey, what the heck, get the gut health in order. So getting your body dialed in, I think just recognize that your body is is your body. It's not anybody else's. Getting the foods that work for you. So so that was, it sounds so silly, you know, when I say it out loud, but getting that allergy test and just sorting out the foods that work for me, it it just, it was that 1%. It was that next little brick that I could sink my teeth into. Yeah, I love that. Remember that every one of us has unique DNA and what may work for you may not work for me and vice versa. And so I think that's really important. You know, when it comes to diet, there's no one size 
one-size-fits-all answer. And that's why these fads, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how if, if you want to lose weight, you know, you can follow a diet. Somebody mm. can tell you what to do. But unless you fundamentally change to the person who's already lost the weight, then it, you're not going to keep it off because the person who's already lost the weight doesn't go back and eat McDonald's, you know? And I think that's really important. And the other thing is, is, is it's something that we tend to really underutilize or under or under under consider is the role diet plays in depression. And if you're eating a bunch of toxic foods, you're going to have a lot of inflammation in your body. And the simple, the easiest and simplest foods to cut out of your diet that are toxic are seed oils and sugar. And I'm not an advocate. I'm not an anti I'm not anti-sugar. I, I have no problem with sugar if you want to have it sometimes. The problem is, is that our brains crave it. That's, you know, it's this it's this whole thing about something that's only available seasonally and it hits the center in our brain where we just want to come back and get it over and over and over. That's why after you have a candy bar, you want more. Mm. And, and the corporations, you know, the food corporations spend millions and billions of dollars on testing the craving center. Mm. So that's why after you eat, it, eat at a fast food place like a McDonald's or a Burger King or wherever, you know, three hours later, or two hours later, you're hungry again. It's, it's they have the perfect combination of salt, sugar, fat, uh, and crisp. And- to, you know, to get you to come back. And if you think that there's no sugar in that barbecue chicken burger, you know, all mm. of that barbecue sauce is filled with sugar. And then you've got the, you know, everything is coated in vegetable oil, which we've talked about a lot here on the podcast, you know, with Dr. Kate Shanahan. And so I don't want to go into that too much, but but that all goes back to our gut health. <laughs> so so it's all connected. And, and if you think about like how it used to be before we had the advent of the, you know, industrialized food, right? Before Kellogg's and before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Go. We were we were eating eggs and bacon for breakfast, and we didn't have any problems. You know, depression wasn't a big thing, and we weren't fat. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I mean, if you think about you think about like like McDonald, not like Disney. Disney had to they had to make all of their rides bigger to accommodate bigger people. Holy smokes! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because back back when Disneyland opened, it was people were much much smaller because they were yeah. eating eggs and bacon and things that were you know, not coated in vegetable oil. So it's it's very interesting to look at the the history of of obesity in America and see how it's related to the demonization of fat and the advent of more sugar and vegetable oils in our diets. Right, right. I take umbers yeah. with the term vegetable oil. I know some people who, you know, they don't have the time or they don't have the interest. They're like, oh, well, it's vegetables, you know? <laughs> they don't yeah, know what vegetable yeah. oil is, yeah. It's a, I mean, the vegetable oil is really seed oil and yeah. the seed oils are, they, they go through a process that is very similar to how how we deal with petroleum and gasoline and there's a part where it's solid and then they it's like a plastic and then it turns into a liquid because of hydrogenation and there's a whole science of there's there's a whole stem of science that's created just to make soy oil more safe for humans it's it's really bad endlessly fascinating and terrifying at the same time (laughs) exactly well yeah (laughs) america the home of the corporation the land of the profit You know, I mean, I I love America and I, I love living in America and I wouldn't want to like have my base anywhere else. I think we treat our people great, but we also have and we have, you know, the ability to, to do freedom and we can, you know, we have the ability to be free in a lot of ways. And there's no limits here in the in the sense that that, you know, if you have a dream, you can actually pursue it. There's not a lot of, you know, caste but we also are very, very, very driven by corporations and, and a lot of money, you know, to our politicians comes from the corporations because they want to make a profit. And so we have to we have to think about that. Yeah, All right. Absolutely. So let's um let's talk about the next rock or the next brick that you were able to 
like put in place? Yeah, it weren't necessarily in order. I could, I could go two different directions right now because in, I'll tell you what, I did get into some kind of supplementation just because it, it was important. And I'll very briefly touch on that. Mm -hmm. So I live in the Northeast where a lot of us are low on vitamin D, not necessarily yeah. a causation, but there is a correlation between low vitamin D and depression. So I actually went on prescription vitamin D. Sounds crazy. I had to go on that because yeah, um, no, I was actually getting really small fractures in my neck <laughs> from such mm -hmm. low vitamin D craziness, right? So did that, started taking some omega-3s you know, again, we want those healthy fats in our, in our brains and just in our bodies in general. And also turmeric. Turmeric was a, I, I physically, really great. I feel like I felt that one. Like I felt that. Yeah. It's an anti-inflammatory. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's natural so anti-inflammatory is great. Fantastic. It, and just the thing is when I, when I recommend people research turmeric, you know, you're going to want to look at it with, I like the supplements over the actual eating the actual root. The root looks like a ginger root, but it's orange. And I like the, the capsules because it has like the concentrated, uh, curcuminoids. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll see it as curcumin and make sure you get the kinds with a little bit of black pepper because the black pepper, black pepper, yeah, yeah, it'll increase the bioavailability. So your body will be able to adjust it. It won't just, or I'm sorry, absorb it. It won't just pass through. Otherwise, you know, you can just put some black pepper on your dinner and it should be good to go. Love turmeric. I'll let that one go because we, we're getting, you know, we've talked a lot about like the well, physical things. Well, I think, you know, there, there's, a, there's a really good opportunity here to talk about the use of turmeric sure. in the land of, that gave a seed of spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. So, so spirituality comes comes out of India primarily and turmeric is used in all the curry dishes with pepper mm. with pepper and they, you know, there's some pretty good longevity there as long as they're not eating a lot of vegetable oil. So it's 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 interesting to see, you know, when you when you start to like look at the history of religion and history of longevity, it's 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 really interesting. And and the the use of the use of turmeric, there's not a lot of inflammation. Uh, people who are eating a traditional Indian diet. Mm. It is, so. again, endlessly fascinating when you, when you yeah. start following those paths. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. cool stuff. Really cool. So you did the supplementation. You started You started working out. I mean, vitamin D, I think everybody needs it. Vitamin D is, is also, low vitamin D is, is also related to some cancers. And so it's mm -hmm. really important that, that vitamin D is checked. I mean, I take vitamin D and I'm outside a lot. I get a tan every summer uh, mm -hmm. from running and whatnot, but I, I still, I still take vitamin D. I mean, I'm in New York and, and we, but, but the whole, like the whole population is chronically low on vitamin D. It's just how it is. So, so you started taking supplements, you started working out, you fixed your nutrition and then right. what happened? So that's like the physical end of it. Right. And then mm -hmm. I'm, you know, trying to get back into school and things are kind of working out. Turns out I was a pretty good college student. Uh, <laughs> doing the, you know, pulling the all-nighters, things I'd never done in high school, because I just had assumed I was not one of the smart kids. I, I, looking back now that I have the insight, it was just, I think I just, there was a lot of mood stuff going on. Uh, mm -hmm. And plus I was labeling myself. I was putting myself in this box of, I'm a musician, you know, that, that stuff's all for them, but you know, they can study their books, but this stuff is for me. And I would kind of disregarded everything. Which when, uh, you know what, not even for people with depression, people really should just kind of have their, their arms a little more wide open and be more welcoming to having an open, an open mind in their lives. Because there's a lot floating around out there that we can disregard. So, for example, like yoga, you know, if you think that that's for, for you know, weirdos with weird outfits and that kind of stuff, which, which obviously that, that stigma has kind of gone away over the past 20 years or so. I don't know. But, I, but my grandmother, I remember, thought that was for crazy people. So, you know, j but just having that open, that little bit more of an open mind. I know that's a little not very specific, but, but well, in my I think, case, I think, yeah. I mean, look, look we, we'd make decisions about ourselves 
as children, things that we're interested in, things that we think we're good at. And we grow up thinking that that's the things we have to be, right? I was, yeah. a, I was a musician. I was a singer in college. And I realized also, and I didn't think I was smart enough to go to medical school. Right. So I was studying classical voice. I was a coloratura soprano back then. And I studied classical voice and music theory and all those things. I said, well, let me just take a trig course, just to see if I'm smart, you know? And so then I ended up high scoring that class. And then I took a calculus course and high scored that. And I was like, oh, I guess I need to go to medical school. And that's how I got back into. And I was I was older. I started college back in. I, I was like 23 or 24 when I started college. I did two years of city college, uh, junior college. And then I transferred into a, a four-year college and then four years of medical school. So it was a lot of, a lot of school. <laughs> wow, look at that, right? You're, yeah. You're, you're a singer and you can do other things. You're not just one thing. Yeah. You're a human being. Wow. Pretty wild, yeah. right? Which right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so I, I realized that all of the, th I mean, you know, I grew up with a lot of people like pushing me down, uh, a lot of mm. adversity, a lot of, um, you know, you're not good enough. You're not smart. You're not this. You're not that. Everybody else is smarter than you. All those things. And I realized that a lot of that was gender norms in my family. And, and that was just how the girls were treated as less than. So when I got out on my own and started trying some things out, I was like, oh, and I kind of surprised myself. I don't have to be a singer. And then I realized it. <laughs> And it's funny now because here we are on this, this is a video podcast and, you know, I'm in front of a camera a lot, but I had stage fright and I didn't like singing in front of an audience. I didn't like it at all. And I was like, this isn't fun. And so I ended up going to surgery, which is also very, very like, you know, high anxiety. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine that. But, um, you know, and here I am now doing this and, and this I feels very low stress to me compared to surgery. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, is that we're, we're never stuck. We yeah. feel stuck, but we're stuck because of what, how we choose to speak to ourselves. And that's been the biggest revelation that I've had over the past, you know, 15 years, I would say, is that how I speak to myself matters and whatever I say to myself, I'm going to believe. Absolutely. Which leads yeah. me to my next kind of less tangible brick, let's say. And it's it still has that little bit of a icky feeling to it. I found the self-help section in the bookstore. So, which I, you know, most people avoid it because, you know, that's for broken people, right? You don't go to the self-help section. That's that's for weirdos. You so, know, you know, or... that's really interesting that you say that because I've been reading self-help since, I, I don't know, probably my 20s. I mean, I, I when I... I... I was I was in my twenties when um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People came out. It was all the rage. Mm. Read the book, and then didn't really do much with it. But but I never I, I read Tony Robbins. I I mm -hmm. never thought I've never felt that. So I want you to know that whatever whatever's causing you to have that belief about mm -hmm. it being icky or you know back then that was just a belief, right? So I, the exactly. self help section is not is not there because for broken people right and and you fit you figured this out obviously <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. i mean when i think about it now like well what what's better to be reading you know i mean i tend to be reading one other thing and then something that's going to work on me is going to improve the life my life and the lives of the people around me that's the way i see it yeah and it, and it shook me out of that box that i'm just a musician just like you were just a singer right right so it, it kind of shook me out of that box like okay well i was just kind of trotting along through school but maybe i can actually do something maybe i can actually you know set these higher goals that will just uh involve playing big concert venues or things like that. Sure. So that was that was a pretty big one for sure. And also it was getting me away from the junk food TV, mm -hmm. you know? So I was filling my time, the spare time I had when I wasn't working or at school, I was reading these books instead of watching, I don't want to say names, but you know, the Kardashians or things like that. Right. You know, this junk food stuff that's not really- Reality feeding. TV is so addictive yeah. and so stupid. 
Right. Because it doesn't matter. So right. d- do you remember when Netflix was just DVDs? Yeah. So, yeah. And and you could get the Netflix, you know, now Netflix is just like right there, right? But yeah. back then, you know, I, I remember when I was, so I was in medical school and I'm residency. I was living in Long Beach, New York, and I had started my residency. It was, it was right after the Twin Towers went down. So I started my residency and then the Twin Towers went down. And I was living in this weird house and I was watching this Netflix. I watched the, what's that one about the, 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 the prison, Oz. And I watched, and I just remember sitting on the couch just watching that and that like it was all I did and so we don't recognize that we're in depression I mean I went to school you know I went to work and whatnot but we don't recognize we're in depression I think until we start to step out of it you're right yeah. you're absolutely right because I, I I've never really looked at, the, at it like that before but I just remember watching this just getting the next DVD and the next DVD and watching the series and 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 I when I think about it I was like god you know I could have been doing so many other things with my life at the time <laughs> and you know I mean the surgical residency is hard I'm not going to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to give myself some grace there. Going through a surgical residency is not easy. It's it's a lot of work. So 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 you, you got away. You started reading. So what was the book that was most influential in that time for you? I'm sure a lot of it was the same stuff you were reading. But the big one for me, it was actually pretty recently. And it's very simple. It's Mindset by Carol Dweck. Great book. It's it's brilliant. So like that almost kind of overrode everything. Like I was reading a lot of pretty good stuff and I was, yeah. you know, Jim Rohn and just like whatever, just like whatever I could get my hands on, just like whatever sure. popped out of me, Dennis Waitley stuff, just like whatever popped out. But when, when I speak to people about books, I'm like, you got to get your hands on mindset. That's the big one for me. That's the one that really can shake some people loose. I feel like yeah. that, it's just when you've read it, it's brilliant. I did. I read that book when it first came out and I'm actually an auditory learner. So I read a lot of books through audio book sure. and that book changed. I I mean, changed a lot for me. It changed changed the way I chose to think about things. It, it, I started looking at things from a different perspective. Like, am I looking at this from a fixed perspective? Am I looking at this more from an open perspective? How can I be not have such a fixed mindset about everything? And the fact that it was all rooted in science, you know, yeah. same with Brene Brown, right? The Brene Brown books are really yes. good too, because it's all research. And so when you're a scientist like me, and then they're starting to say, well, we did this research and this is what the research showed and da, da, da. And then it, it gives you, for me, what it did was it gave me this opening to say, okay, what have people been saying about this from, you know, before? And so now I'm kind of looking back at, at the older guys like Neville Goddard and oh, yeah. and uh, Joseph Murphy and some of the, you know, metaphysical spiritualists, of course, yeah. uh, Yogananda. And, but but it's it's really interesting because at the end of the day, it's all the same thing, right? Get, into, right. Your, get into your <laughs> subconscious mind. When you can get into your subconscious mind, you can change anything. And, but we have the science of yoga and we can shift into yoga after this, but the science of yoga is to help us connect our left and right brains and for us to get into that right brain where actually all the magic happens but we live in the left brain because of written language which is mm. you know really great book called the alphabet versus the goddess which explains why all the goddesses were murdered by the gods it's a great book Whoa. i can't yeah no it's a great book it's it, it's the history of written language history of religion i we have a patriarchy a beautiful beautiful book written by like an ENT surgeon or something. Yeah, great book. So uh, so let's talk about how you got into yoga and meditation. Yeah. 
So I was in grad school the first time and I, I was doing a lot of working out, of course. And then I was like, well, you know, it's a free yoga class. I'll pop in and see what this is about. That was why I took it. It was free. I was like, okay. Yeah. So, oh, oh no, let me know. I was taking another class. I apologize. No, this is what was happening. I was taking another class. That class got canceled and I had to hang out for another half hour and take this yoga class they were having. That's what happened. I remember because mm. I was, it was totally by accident. I was with this girl. She was fresh out of high school. I was 30 or something. And we were in this room that was set off to the side of the gym. So there were still, there's a big weight room just outside of us with all these guys lifting weights on all these machines. And this, I said, should I hang out for this yoga class to this girl? And she said, I'll never, ever forget this. She said, you see all these guys out there moving all these weights around? They have no idea what fitness is. This what? is coming from like a 17 or 18 year old girl. And I said, all right, I am in. <laughs> I took that yoga class and I had never been so sore in my life. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't the meditation aspect, which I, I kind of had a handle on just for my karate I, I, I carried that over with me and I was finally getting back into that but it was the physical part that kind of hooked me and it was and I, I recognized it was gonna be really great for my uh, my injuries things like that and then it was kind of like they say integrating all the limbs of yoga right again really fascinating how how complete yoga is in fact if you love somebody with depression I one of the best things you can do is say hey would you mind would you do me a favor and come with me to this yoga class I'm a little I'm a little nervous to do this I'm a little shy because number one you're gonna get them feeling good they're doing you a favor yeah number two you're going to get them moving their body you're going to have them having fun you're going to get them learning new things you're going to get them introduced to meditation if they're not introduced to that also there's the whole social aspect and you don't have a whole lot of jerks in yoga class typically so you know you're gonna it's kind of like this multifaceted really rich environment you can get somebody in so that's one of my first steps if you if, like i said if you love someone with depression ask if they can come with you to a class it's it's really a just great practice and if, and if anyone listening hasn't tried it please give it a shot you'll love it it's great i like i like that and i like to say that the best the best treatment for depression is exercise the problem is getting off the couch you know yeah just... yeah so it doesn't have to look like exercise right like so yoga doesn't necessarily look like exercise i'm actually lucky enough to where i i moved across the street from a couple pickleball courts do you know what pickleball is it's like a handball or something <laughs> yeah. okay so it's a cross between tennis and ping pong. Okay, so it's like a bigger ping pong, but a smaller tennis. Oh, it's okay. All, it's all the rage in the senior centers. It's super good for your brain. It's so much fun. And it doesn't look like exercise, but you're moving your body. I've got to try pickleball. Yeah, it sounds fun. It is really fun. Really yeah. fun. It sounds really yeah. fun. So, so you got into yoga. How did you get into meditation? That was actually lucky enough through my karate. You uh, know, I remember being 14, 15 years old, laying down on the floor, going through these guided meditation, not even sometimes guided, sometimes not, you know, so I was exposed to different types of meditation, which there are. And that was one of the most profound things I had gone through in my teens. It, Again, hard to put into words, but so moving and so important. And I'm just so lucky that I found it at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. Just really, uh, yeah. Sorry. When I, when I think about it, I get, kind of get yeah. transported back to my karate school is an old meat locker. They, they oh, converted into it. So it's just like this great old meat locker where we, we hung punk punching bags from, uh, the chimney. Like, like Rocky. <laughs> it was like Rocky. It was really cool. Yeah. And I remember laying on that yeah. dirty floor and just, yeah, getting sucked in. Amazing. Yeah. It's really funny. I mean, I, I did, I went through a phase where I, I did some yoga and my favorite part was of course the end where we did savasana because I felt like I could do anything at the end of it. Yeah. You know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't love the yoga and I, I, I 
come from ballet and so oh. i have I've, i have turn i, I t- took a lot of years of ballet as a child and so I, you know my my legs turn out like this and the yoga people are always wanting to make you go straight and it, it just yeah. it's not very comfortable for me sure. but 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 i do love yoga in the sense that yoga comes from india and india is the seat of spiritual spirituality and you don't have to do i mean there's so many different types of yoga and one of my favorite types of yoga is just a breathing technique yeah. that can help you you know kind of get things in alignment and you know, contact God or the subconscious or whatever, you know, I, yeah, I don't ab- want to talk about God today, but. Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. But that's an important point, right? When we think of yoga, we think of bendy stretchy, but that's not necessarily yoga. There are different types. There's kundalini, yeah. which is purely, almost purely um, breath-based. There's there's a lot of different types. So yeah, so yoga is a pretty rich practice that isn't just the asana, they call it, the, the, the exercise part. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk for a second about, you put on your outline here, forcing your personality. What, what does that mean and how how does that relate to getting out of depression? So I was dating a lot of girls I shouldn't have been dating. And I was wearing a lot of clothes where it just didn't feel right. And I have a quick story for this. Sorry, I, I talk in stories. I, I remember after college, I was on my way to a job interview. And my idea of success was, you know, the typical corporate business suit, whatever type thing. And I was driving and I just I was wearing my suit and I just started bawling, crying lost my mind 27 years old in my car just couldn't stop sobbing and i was like what am i doing what am i doing it it felt like the what is it the square peg in the round hole (laughs) and i was like but but i want to be successful i want to be successful and like this is what it takes to be successful that limiting belief right it's like well you can actually there are a lot of other um paths here to success I don't have to wear a business suit. I'm not a business suit type of guy. And that's okay. You know, I'm not the kind of guy who dates, you know, the cheerleader. That's okay. I don't, it doesn't have to be a certain way. And it sounds silly right now when I even, when I talk about it, but, you know, getting your mind out of these preconceived notions of what's the perfect girlfriend, what's the perfect job, what's the perfect thing look like. No, you can just do your own thing. It takes a lot more of like listening, turning that arrow inward, as opposed to just hammering outside of you. Turn that arrow inward and just trust your gut more. I mean, Ian, FP, right? If you subscribe to the Myers-Briggs test, right? I mean, ENFP. So trusting your gut is a good idea. And I, I learned that through therapy, which is also a godsend, right? I, I was lucky enough to get into some therapy, which was a very big deal. And I do write about that in the book as well. That was, that was a big turning point in my life. Trusting your gut, you know, don't, if, if it feels like the relationship is wrong, if it feels like these, this career path is wrong for a guy like me, maybe that means You know, I think, yeah. I think we, we have a lot of preconceived no- notions about what things should be. We're not taught like, like how to manage our f- feelings, our emotions. And that's, you may have gotten some of that through karate, because I I think that they have a a martial art, they're going to, they're going to give you more like an understanding of your body. But, but, you know, and I think about all the things I've learned and really had to unlearn things that my parents taught me as normal or, and, and trying to find out, you know, who I am, right? What, what, you know, I have this, like, like, why, why is my hair like this? Well, (laughs) You know, it's like this because it's something I'd always wanted to do. And I waited until my 50s to do it. And and I like, I think I look pretty good like this. And and I'll shave it all off probably in a couple, couple days. For anyone listening <laughs> and they're not seeing it, it looks beautiful. Oh, thank you. If you have ever seen a picture of me, I have no hair. And what's really funny is that I, I mean, I have hair. It's really, really short. So I have a buzz cut. And in the summer, I shave it down to the skin. And then it just goes back because I have a lot of hair. But a few years ago, say 2015, I had long hair down to the middle of my back. And wow. I looked probably about 10 years older. <sighs> and, and and what happened was I started running in 20, I want to say about 2016, 2017, I started running. And not only was my hair bothering me at night, like it was choking me. So I had to like tie it up and whatnot. But then I would go running <laughs> 
and it would get really, really heavy from like sweat and like it yeah. pull my head back. I was like, okay, I got to do something. So I start. I just cut it short. But then I was like, you know, I, I really want to shave my head. I just want to, and I just wanted to shave it. And I'd never done it because I had all these beliefs about it. Like uh, if I shave my head, I have to wear makeup every day and I don't like wearing makeup. If I shave my head, I have to be skinny and all these things. And so I was like, you know what? That's stupid. And I'm just going to go <laughs> do it. <laughs> so I did it. I did it actually the beginning of 2020 uh, in March, just before the pandemic like shut down the world. Yeah. So yeah, so that it was perfect pandemic haircut. I just I just got a clipper and you know, and I just I just cut it myself. <laughs> so so let's hear about your book. It's called the Official Depression Relief Playbook: Real Life Strategies from a Guy Who Has Lived It. Yeah. So what what prompted you to write the book? When did you print it? When did you uh, publish it? That sort of thing. It was COVID that that had me write the book. So what happened was when I was in grad school the first time, people had known my my journey and with depression and people were having a tough time and they were like, so what did you do to kind of help you get out of this thing? So I was, I would talk to them about it. Invariably they would forget and I'd have to write them an email. Same thing happens when COVID was hitting, people were reaching out mm -hmm. to me. They were like, you know, so what do you do? And I started joking that I'm going to write a book. And it was literally started as a joke. And I said, you know what? I have so many people reaching out to me, just friends and like forgetting things and asking me to follow up. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to write the book. So I did it. This was September of 2020. So yeah, I'd lost my day job. I was still training people. And, and my I, I do a small private where I take people for nutrition and we weren't talking about nutrition. I'm, I'm a fitness nutrition specialist, but we weren't talking about nutrition. We were talking about other things, which is which essentially led me to starting my uh, my grad program coming up for to become an LPC, a, a, a psychotherapist. So yeah, so I wrote the book then. And the idea is I want this to be the kind of thing that people have. I, it's very short. And I want this to be the kind of thing that people can have on their, their bed stand that they can come back to and read a few times because, you know, you tend to forget things. And I want them to, I want it to be kind of like that anchor. If, if they have that despair laying in bed, which I know I had, having those beds next to, on my bed stand, that, that was like, oh, I have that hope sitting there right next to me. And it was like a comforting feeling. Yeah. That's what I want this book to be. Uh, so like I said, it's short, it's easy to read. And I, I talk a little bit, I know we talked a lot about the physical stuff, but I talk about things like therapy and even medication. You know, there were, I had a lot of preconceived notions about medication, which was the very last brick when we were talking about bricks. That was the very last thing I had done. I, it was my primary care doctor who got me onto it. And she was like, look, if you don't like it, just stop. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that was an option. I thought once you were on it, you're on it forever. I, you know, all these silly things I had thought. So yeah, I talk about that in the book as well. And, and try. I'm trying to maybe get people less scared to do that. I know a lot of people who are afraid to go on medication because of things they believe and, or they've heard stories from people who had been on it for two weeks. They had bad, they had a bad experience yeah. for a week and then they stopped taking it. You know, they didn't give their body the time to adjust. So I go through my whole journey, with the medication as well, which I feel like was another, that that's, I feel like that's one of the West's gifts to the world. Um, medication yeah. can be very, very helpful in, in depression. I, I think that we have to really look at everything though, as Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine. So yeah. we got to start there and then, you know, keep going. I mean, yeah, I'm a doctor. I, I I do when I was when I was doctoring, I prescribed. And yeah. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I spent a lot of time figuring out how to get out of suffering. Yeah. I spent a lot of time suffering, and and so that's you know, my, I'm here to share that with the world for sure. Yeah, yeah, it takes work. It absolutely takes work. And I have friends who kind of went at it from the other end. Where I have a friend with really bad anxiety, and he started taking medication after you know months of his therapist recommending it. And he said, and he said to me, he's like, you know, I feel a little better, but I'm not all the way there. And I was like, yeah, dude, you gotta gotta do the work too. Like it's it's part of the puzzle. It's just like everything yeah. else, right? It's part of the puzzle. It's not all of it. You still gotta feed your body right. You still gotta move your body, and you still gotta. 
I, I'm a big believer in therapy and I, I really think you need to talk about these things with people. And yeah, it's just another, but it's, it was a very helpful brick around, around eight o'clock at night is when my, my thoughts would kind of get dark. I could have gone my whole life without the medication, but my nights are a lot easier now. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. I spend a lot of time like really examining the negative self-talk that I have. And then yeah. like if something comes back and it keeps coming back over and over and over, then I'll actually, I'll actually record myself saying the opposite. <laughs> And listen to it over and over because we have to understand that, you know, the voice that it's in our head is not us. It's just a voice. And it's the culmination of all the judgments and the things that have happened. And maybe you had a negative parent or a negative person in your life that that just kind of beat you down. But you don't have to stay that way. And that's, I think... I think that's the biggest hope that, that we can offer here is that if you're if you're stuck in depression, that you don't have to be there. What would you what would you say, Zach, somebody who's like, I, I guess, stuck in the inertia of the couch? How, how, yeah. how, what, what would be the next step that you would suggest that they do? <sighs> this sounds silly. They need, first, they need to practice forgiveness. Of course, forgiving themselves. They need to, and this, this goes hand in hand with gratitude. They need to forgive other people for saying the stupid things they're going to say to you. They don't understand what's happening with you because they can't understand. Yeah. Your depression is yours. Everyone's depression is different. And in my book, I talk about them as flavors. And I've been through quite a few different flavors of depression, right? So everyone's is different different, but I don't want people thinking, oh, well, mine is special. And so mine, there's no hope. The one unifying thing is we can all get out of it. And I, I really do believe that, but it takes work. And that was the biggest thing I needed was I needed that I needed a, a clear idea of, look, you can get out of this, but it's going to take work. You have to put in the work. If I could write myself one note yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the 20 year old me, that would be the first step. It's going to take work. It's And it's not part of it's painful, but it's fulfilling work. I don't want to say it's going to be pain free. I mean, it's it, growth can be painful, but it's not work like you're out digging a ditch. There's a there's real reward to this. So put in that work, put in that work and don't don't give up the fight. Really? It sounds cheesy. No, it's you not cheesy. I mean, I think I think we have to we have to look at it from this perspective is like, you know, if you don't do anything, you're going to stay where you are. And so it's yeah. really important to, you know, take that next step and you don't have to get it perfect. You just take yeah. the next step. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. One thing I tell my my clients when they're when they're like waffling or or you know when when you do a lot of count counseling but you know whatever I, I I'm a coach but but people really argue for their limitations a lot mm. and so when I'm trying to get them to see something from a different perspective and they just really aren't I'll say something like them well what if you wish you wanted to want to and that helped me a lot when I was younger, when I was in my teen, late, you know, late teens, early twenties was if, if, if I was felt feeling stuck in something and, and I was afraid to make any sort of, a take any sort of action. It was like, I wish I wanted to want to. And then that, that would get things moving. That's great. So is there anything else you were hoping to share today that we didn't get to? I just want to say like, I really love how you're like a human. Like, I love how you... <laughs> You know, like you're a person. That's so yeah. nice. It's so refreshing because you picture surgeons and doctors and like they're all gods, right? They're all these perfect, infallible beings. But, you know, you're here spilling your guts and that's so helpful to people. Yeah. It's so helpful to people. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the whole reason we have the menopause movement, the, it, the, the only reason we have it is to help ease the suffering of women going through menopause because menopause comes on suddenly, it's unexpected, and it disrupts our lives in such a way that it can be really, really difficult. And so when, when that's what happened to me. And that's why I started the whole, the whole thing and left surgery to pursue this passion. Mm, it's great. 
Yeah, yeah. All right. So Zach Rutledge's book, The Official Depression Relief Playbook, Real Life Strategies from a Guy Who Has Lived It. Go on to Amazon and get it. We'll hook that up in the show notes. Uh, Zach, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. Uh, thank you so much. It's a real yeah. honor being here. Thank you. Yeah. And good luck with grad school. I want to hear how it goes. Ah, I'm excited. Thank you. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life, and to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. And I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Mm -hmm.